0: Welcome back to America's Talking. I'm Austin Berg. Today, I'm so pleased to be joined by Mike Noble. Mike is the founder and CEO of Noble Predictive Insights, a leading firm in public opinion polling, market research, and data analytics. Thank you so much for joining us, Mike. Thanks for having me on. What's the most common mistake you see in public opinion polling?
1: I think the most common mistake in in public opinion polling is people counting polls that aren't, in fact, actually polls. Uh, I'll give you a perfect example. My mother-in-law, she she got a uh, a, a, a poll, but it's it's clearly it's political for fundraising. It's like, uh, you know, do you think, you know, uh, what do you think about Nancy Pelosi being president? Uh, do you approve? And of course, she's like, no. She answers the one question and then directs her right to a fundraising page. And when I ask her later, like, how was your day? She goes, oh, I took a poll earlier. I'm like, that's not a poll. And so I think that's kind of one of the interesting. I guess by
0: technically,
1: that would technically be a poll, but. Not anywhere close to the standards or rigors. And I think the biggest misconception is it's fine to look at the numbers uh, on there, but the numbers matter if it they have to be representative of your population, right? And if they're not representing your population, it doesn't matter what the numbers say or, or what's on the sheet of paper. So I think that's one of the common misconceptions out there is that all polls are, are good and, and they all get kind of thrown into one bucket.
0: For the average news consumer, though, so say, you know, they see some local news story about a poll, about a political horse race. What are some red flags you can give people on that? So they look it up, like, what are you doing? What are the first three things you're looking at to see if that's something that's worth taking seriously?
1: Three things I'd look up is one is you can easily go to like uh, Real Clear Politics or 538. So they're uh, polling aggregator sites. So they will put polls on there. So, uh, for example, if a poll's out there, you could see, hey, what were other polls that were put out? in that same area? Is that roughly around the same or is an outlier? But more of the easier things to spot without having to use the internet is that, uh, you know, sample size, you know, how big was that uh, uh, sample or group? If it's under 400, uh, I would probably be a little suspect of that. And also, you know, who's the firm that's doing it? Uh, one of the biggest things I'd say in polling is separating the partisan from nonpartisan pollsters out there, for example, last election, uh, during the presidential, there's a ton of polling done. There was a significant difference. The partisan pollsters were off uh, by the, on average, like roughly four points on a race, which is a lot. And but the nonpartisans were much closer uh, to the middle. So you know, do they have a vested interest? So Republican firm puts out a poll, and the Republicans dominating. You may want to question that. And I think also you know how they collect their data is important. So uh, that's also important. Whether You know, if they did like email or something like that, definitely (laughs) discount it. So I think really the reputation and a known brand, because there's a lot of polls, but there's a lot of ones that do it right. And a lot of ones that frankly uh, don't. And that's where I think people get misled. And that's where some of the consternation comes
0: so a big point of discussion after, uh, obviously, uh, Trump in 2016, but even in the last couple of years, is this whole question of non-response bias, right? Like, who are the people who are just never going to answer a question about a political topic, and how do we make sure that those people are represented in polls? What do you think of that entire issue? How do, how do we solve for that?
1: Great question. Uh, well, there's a couple of solutions to it, uh, but to look back is that this uh, response bias issue came up, two elections ago and that was you know those uh, uh i think the trump cohort that said it's kind of hey you know fake news fake polling and they weren't taking the polls uh and we saw that in certain uh, folks data where you know they weren't really capturing some of that group and it was so interesting and there's a lot of work that was done uh in the interim to work on that but then the next cycle that came that response bias was gone Uh, frankly, all those folks were absolutely responding to the polls. So it was almost a seasonal, (laughs) I would say. And that uh, when I look at the response bias is that people say, oh, polling, because there's some response bias, which you have it not only just in party affiliation, but you see it uh, definitely on education uh, levels. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in theory, you take, let's say, the registered voter file list. You, You take that, you randomize it. Everyone has an equal chance to take the poll. Well, the thing is, though, that's assuming everyone responds at the same rate. And what we saw uh, in polling, what's happened is people with a college degree or higher, so their educational level, people with a college degree or higher, were more likely to take the poll than people that uh, were not college educated because typically they may have probably more blue-collar jobs, so they actually have to be there. They can't be working remotely from home. And so uh, basically ways to to blunt that or uh, to mitigate that, is that you just basically do some pre-stratification or put in some quotas in there, so you know you're not getting so many college-educated folks. You can you can cap them, and you just have to you know put a little more effort or make a little bit more attempt to ultimately balance it out. So I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is that you know the response rates I'm uh, what do you look at like Pew Research or Gallup that tracks that over time is that we're it was some of the lowest response rates ever. I mean, we're at like 5% of people take a poll. And I think it's kind of a cultural shift where people have been so busy, they got so much on their plate, so much instant gratification. So when, a, when they get a call to take a poll, a lot of people look at it as, as an annoyance or an issue. And when ultimately those opinions are really what decision makers look at. So presidents, parties, all these powers that be, so to speak, they all use that and so that opinion being ejected in, they don't look at it as more of like a public service as it used to. So I think that's come with some of the other interesting issues running into, but polling is still very much accurate and alive. It's just, we've had to adapt in the industry. They didn't have to adapt for like five decades. I mean, it was really the same and really what's changed in the last uh, 10 years is really how how you contact folks. Before you could just do phone base so you you know uh, everyone had a landline phone so like random digit dialing that used to be a thing it's not a thing anymore uh because you know a lot of people don't have it and getting uh, gen z folks to uh, to answer or talk to a live human yeah good luck with that uh you know you, they'll text you all day uh you know so basically you had to you know break it up or just do different modes of collection uh to ultimately get to your uh you know representative sample
0: in what ways can prediction markets be more accurate than polls? Or, I mean, it's a completely different beast, but when people are putting real money on the line to bet on an outcome, how is that different than the knowledge you would take from a poll?
1: Well, it's a great question. And when you look at, okay, the prediction marks in polling is that, remember when you do, let's just say it's a single poll. Well, a single poll, remember the field dates are really important. So, and that kind of tails back into that last question of things to look for the field time so when was that poll in the field was that you know even though you're reading the results let's say today but was that poll potentially done you know from june 15th to i don't know july 1st you know they were in there for 15 days so knowing that time that it happened uh so if you're looking at just one poll maybe not and that's why i think the aggregates are pretty good uh uh and but polling alone is not going to be strong enough for the for the prediction markets like and i can't speak so much in the betting markets i've never done that i've heard of them uh but i haven't been on there but you look at like polling aggregators like 538 or other election forecasters such as like sabato's crystal ball which by the way was the most accurate the last two elections in a row uh is that you know basically you can never be 100 percent. you're still gonna miss out but you're going to be incredibly accurate at polling I think is one tool but also you got to take in some qualitative measures of like uh money you know how much money do they campaign cuz let's say the race you know you and I Austin are neck and neck in the race we're 2 weeks out I'm up 5 points but I also have no money and you got a bunch and you're just hammering me with ads well that's probably going to swing the other way and you'll probably end up beating me at the end of the day so there's other qualitative factors that get in there but they're actually overall pretty good at Predicting, but the prediction markets, eh, you know, I still think polling mixed in with some of the other, uh, you know, key performance indicators or KPIs out there. If you have more indicators, you can be pretty accurate overall. I mean, there's few election results, frankly, that surprise me if you have enough data to look at.
0: You just completed a poll of 2,500 registered voters across the U.S. Uh, with our friends at the center square. What was the most surprising thing you learned there?
1: oh my gosh there there was a ton of surprising things frankly uh it's tough because that you know survey we it was probably 40 questions or so and i think uh you know with collaborating with this uh the folks over at the center square they came with some really interesting questions and also ones that really haven't been asked but like I, i'll just start rattling off some some takeaways and and again there's a lot and that, oh, we definitely won't have enough time to go through them all here one of the quick ones is that and I think it's kind of a surprise to a lot of folks, but two thirds of voters, like 66 percent, think the country is going in the wrong direction with only a quarter or 24 percent saying, hey, we're on the right track. And so when you look at that question, it's kind of like, hey, in general, what is their outlook when it comes to the direction of the country? Like, hey, is the club, uh, cup half full or is it half empty? And, you know, people are very much more pessimistic than optimistic. But I think it's probably due to the hyper polarization and the catfighting between the, I like to call them the red and the blue team or Republicans and Democrats, but also other interesting parts, uh, you know, unsurprising is that, uh, you know, J- Joe Biden, he has about a, a, a minus 15 job approval rating, but what's also interesting when you look at his image, he'll test higher on his image. So his favorability, so how you kind of like him overall, but when it comes to the job he's doing, it gets much lower rankings. But yet it doesn't impact him nearly as much on the general election matchups, the hypotheticals against DeSantis or Trump. He's still ahead of both of them in those matchups. And you're like, wait, most people don't think he's doing a good job. Then How come he's ahead? Well, remember, presidential election, for all these options and everything we have in the United States, it's crazy that it's literally an A-B option so it's less about joe biden himself and more about maybe who his opponent is at the time so i think that's kind of interesting but also what was kind of uh uh, interesting as well is that uh they asked some really interesting questions regarding the border uh regarding the uh fentanyl issue you know and it's interesting we really haven't seen anyone really ask any questions regarding that like if you don't really want to touch that why i don't know i'm not gonna (laughs) make sure you can have the a drink on that and, uh, you know, uh, talk about the whys behind it. But but for this portion, you know, looking at, uh, you know, uh, we kind of asked folks here. Um, uh, let me see here. Let me track this one down for us. But when we we're looking at uh, uh, the, uh, I would say, uh, uh, the fentanyl is like, who, who's to blame for the, the fentanyl issue that we're currently seeing in the United States? Is it the cartels? Is it uh, Joe Biden? Is it is it the American drug consumer? You know, the ones that uh, partake in that. And interesting enough, you know, cartels uh, was number one, but tied for second was the American consumer and Joe Biden. So, you know, we're also it's interesting that we're a bit of a, a, a to blame on that. But, you know, laws of economics apply everywhere, even in the legal drug trade of supply and demand. So I thought that was really, really uh, interesting. And then also uh, looking at, you know, how Biden's done with his uh, performance on the border. They don't think they've done a very good job. But then jumping over back to the Democrat side, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, should, you know Biden may not debate for, because uh, he does have some uh, Democratic primary, uh, you know, opponents that are in there. And what's super interesting is that When you look at, uh, you know, should Joe Biden participate in the primary season, debate his challengers, if any? Two thirds of of the overall respondents said yes to that, with only 24 percent saying no. But even more interesting among Democrats themselves, seven in 10 of them said, hey, uh, you know, Biden should debate with 21 percent saying no. And even more interesting is that. Even among people that were supporters of Biden, so not just Democrats, but they're pro Joe all day. Even they think that Biden should debate. So it's interesting, and it's going to be interesting how Biden and his team are able to, uh, you know, see if they can avoid those debates when you know public opinion, especially among his own group, think, hey, those debates should happen.
0: Mike, was there anything interesting in terms of the crosstabs, especially on that, that fentanyl question? I would assume that not a lot of Democrats are blaming Joe Biden for that problem, and maybe Republicans are eager to blame Joe Biden for anything you would ask them to blame <laughs> Joe Biden for. What What were some of the interesting things you found kind of double-clicking on that uh, fentanyl question? Because I agree, we don't hear a lot about public opinion in terms of public policy around that.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. So kind of going through that fentanyl stuff is that well, first off, we, we asked too, is like, hey, you know, how concerned are you about the fentanyl issue? I think we've heard about it a good amount. Nine and ten uh respondents or voters in our national in the national survey said that they were at least somewhat concerned. So basically nine and ten have some degree of concern level on that. So all right, pretty big issue. But uh, you know, and they also uh when you have nine and ten, you know, that means everyone, there's no really demographic differences there. Mm-hmm. But what was interesting on that question too, besides say, you know where folks were at, forty four percent of respondents blamed uh, China, but the one that uh, scored the lowest was big pharma at twenty nine percent. So interesting how pharma of all the you know cartels, the American consumer, Joe Biden, China, big pharma was actually the lowest of where the blame is being kind of uh, set down. Uh, but when it comes to the that voters that view fentanyl crisis as a personal responsibility. Uh, you know, I highest amount of blame on American drug users. It was a uh, 61% of Democrats. So the you know two thirds of Democrats were putting it the blame on the American drug users. So very much not blaming Biden. So to your point, they weren't laying the feet at Biden, uh, but they were laying it really much at the head. <laughs> just don't do
0: it. <laughs> Was concern about China on that issue, pretty partisan split or more more leaning right?
1: Uh, It leaned leaned a bit more right, uh, frankly, over uh, Democrats. And you've seen that, uh, you know, Democrats aren't as anti-China. I mean, they're against China, but not to the levels that we see with Republicans. And then also uh, uh, GOP voters who prefer Trump in a head to head matchup, you know, 44, uh, 40 percent of them thought, you know, hey, there's more of a personal responsibility there. Um, and it was probably more of the right wing of the Republican Party because when we talk about the Republican Party now there's just there's really two factions that are in there because of this division you have the Trump or MAGA party, and then you kind of have the, uh, I guess, establishment or the previous, you know, the party that's been around for 200 years, uh, that party. And so the the more right-leaning or uh, the MAGA group. So uh, the further the right of the spectrum, they are definitely much more, uh, you know, higher uh, on their level when it comes to, like, who to put this blame on uh, with the personal responsibility. But if Democrats overall, uh, you know, really uh, also they they blamed big pharma uh they were the highest by the way of blaming big pharma so kind of you know democrats kind of blaming more big business republicans kind of throwing it down at uh, you know lay at the feet of uh of you know
0: biden um and or
1: uh you know uh, the other uh, american consumer
0: so uh, i would be remiss before we wrap up if i, if I didn't ask about Republican primary results you got definitely in line with other polls that we've seen. seems like Ron DeSantis has had a really big slide. Uh, Trump is top of the pile by a mile. Um, Obviously, you're not in the game of predicting what's going to happen by the time that that's chosen. But in your experience with a lead that large for a person who previously held the office of president, wouldn't you say that that is sort of all but done? Isn't that race sort of all but wrapped up?
1: you know and that's the thing i was gonna ask this like three months ago because basically this uh, whether you're a pollster or political pun or whatever when you're this far off from election day, you never say oh yeah it's a guarantee uh they, like, you just never say that however and this is what was telling people two three months ago when trump was dominating he was only up by i think 25 points at the time over everybody else in the race which is like 11 or 14 people he's going against so He's got a lot, and it was funny. They're like, "Oh, this is going to change." And I'm like, "I don't think so. I think it's different because historically, you have seen, uh, you know, that's why we track it. Is be like, who's trending up? Because campaigns are all about momentum. You know, who's getting momentum, and where you're peaking and when that really matters. the The, the issue, is, and that's what I was talking about months ago, was that I don't think that that's the case, and I don't think those historical norms or uh, elections we've had previously are still the same because I think the game has changed because when it comes to like Trump and his group, you know, his supporters are very much uh, very loyal and they're not going to move. I mean, between all of the allegations, all of the stuff, if anything it's hardened his support and it's funny, what's the uh criminal, you know, the the indictments and items started coming across. You notice there's a rally around the flag effect with him in the primary among Republican voters. And so right now, Trump is at 53% with all the other current candidates in there, which is insane. When you have a a 14 candidate field, I mean, you're happy if you're at 25, 30%, to be honest, right? I mean, he's absolutely crushing it. Ron DeSantis is only at 18%. So Trump has a 35 point lead over his nearest, his nearest competitor, and then uh, Ram Swamy, is literally the one uh, you know, somewhat close, but everybody else is in single digits. And so, I basically, I would be shocked if Trump didn't win this primary because I just don't think his group's moving. And DeSantis has really dropped up uh, in the last five, six months. I think his issue was that it was a great compare and contrast after the elections. He absolutely dominated in swing state Florida. Trump and his candidates kind of underperformed during the midterm elections. But then he decided not to run for president right away, finish up his gubernatorial stuff or legislative session down in Florida. So he has hands tied behind his back and he was sitting there getting beat up by Trump. And then, of course, uh, dealing with some other issues. And so now, you know, I think DeSantis is just in a tough spot. He's really struggling to gain traction. So, I mean, it's Trump's it's Trump's election to lose. And uh, with these uh, court things going on, it's unprecedented because we've never really been into the case where... It could literally hypothetically happen where he's on a ticket for president, he goes to jail, wins, pardons himself. Oh, it's completely possible, but we've never ran into that. And But, you know, absolutely, it's, it's Trump's to win. And, and again, I don't have a dog in the fight. I don't care if he gets convicted or not. Honestly, it's not my job. My job is just to call the data and, you know, give you good uh, analysis and, and solid predictions.
0: Mike Noble, he's the founder and CEO of Noble Predictive Insights. Mike, thank you for talking. Awesome. It's been a privilege. Thank you.